0: I lived like an hour and a half away. And we had a little so. birthday party for
1: you, I remember. Yes, well, it was no, birthday. it was your sister's birthday.
0: Oh. It was my birthday, but her party. I see. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a
1: bloodshot eye that you never let me live down.
0: I, I just, it's gross. Anyway, um, <laughs> so.
1: Scott had his first manic episode in high school, but he wasn't officially diagnosed with Bipolar 1 disorder until four years after he married his wife, Jessica. Together, they have faced significant struggles associated with this disorder. They share their story on this episode. My name is Katie Houston-Davies, and this is Mental Illness and Me. I am uh, 38 years old, and um, I am a software engineer by profession. And in my spare time, I love to compose music and uh, play the piano and hang out with my three boys um, who are under the age of six. Uh, we've been married since 2006. If I can do the math on that, that's years. 15 years. <laughs> I am an engineer. I do, I do know math, but sometimes that higher order math gets, gets me. <laughs> <laughs> we met at Brigham Young University. Well, it actually goes back a little farther than that. We met as teenagers in Pennsylvania um, at a church youth dance. Um, we danced to Ricky Martin, Nobody Wants to be Lonely, <laughs> which we still remember. And uh, and um, Jessica remembered me when we met up again at college.
0: We dated for over a year. Yeah. Then we were engaged for, for six about six months. months, and we got married in May of Two thousand and six and
1: everyone thought that six months was way too long to be engaged at BYU. <laughs> I thought that was But it but it wasn't. It was almost <laughs> it was
0: great. I'd love to jump in and talk yep. a little bit about mental illness. Yep. Um, Scott, at what age did you start having symptoms of mental illness?
1: Yeah, this is a really great question for me, for my story, because uh, my first real Um, episode of Mania was when I was 17. I was a junior in high school. Right before winter break junior year I started acting really bizarrely at home and at school for a couple days in a row and eventually um, one of my teachers noticed me actually trying to leave the school and I was about to just run home like take a jog home which was about a five mile run from my house to the high school But he stopped me and brought me into the counselor's office and then they called my parents and they took me into the hospital to the emergency room and at first they did not treat it as though it was a mental disorder. They treated it as though I was having a mental disorder Um, but my parents when they showed up there they they noticed that um, I was reacting poorly to some of the medications they were giving me like some you know uncontrollable movements of my arms etc and so they got a little spooked by that and Sought um, a treatment that was not for a mental health condition, but really for a neurological condition um, So they treated me as though I had viral encephalitis.
0: Oh Wow, so it was
1: very interesting because there were some cases of that in the area at the time and that they found a Neurologist who said yeah, you kind of do miss do meet some of those criteria for that disease so they treated me with an antiviral medication intravenously uh for several weeks and i got better now looking back you know decades later i think i just got better because my episode subsided not because of the antiviral but we don't really know um, so it's really kind of a mystery if that truly was just a manic episode or if it was really viral encephalitis
0: I wasn't around for that, so I don't have any firsthand knowledge of that mm-hmm. particular thing. However, I know that I have, I've done some research and pe- there are people who have had viral encephalitis that then tend to have a lot of mental health problems afterwards. Right. So, Really? I yeah. yeah, so I don't know, we don't know for sure. Did he have the encephalitis and it's caused the mental illness? Did did he truly just have mental illness the whole time? Because a lot of mental illnesses don't um, start to manifest themselves until late teens. Anyway, which mm-hmm. would have been around around that time, late teens, early 20s. And then he also was doing, like, way too much. Not sleeping, not yeah, eating, I was not in taking way too many things.
1: AP English, marching band, soccer. I was the typical overachieving high school kid, and I was attending early morning seminary at the same time, and I was doing drama club all at the same time. So I basically wake up at 5 o'clock, go to seminary, go to school, go to soccer practice, go to band practice, go to drama club, and then...
0: Try to do your homework.
1: Try to do... No, I never try to do
0: homework. (laughs) um, Pretend to do your homework. But
1: then get to bed at, like, you know, midnight, um... And get, up and get up and start all over again. So but, there's a lot of burnout. So,
0: but either yeah. way, yeah. you know, that's not good for anyone's health, mm-hmm. mental health or other health. And you have had mono too. Right. So they it's found... like it's just this whole mystery. We've asked yeah. for his medical records in the past just to kind of understand it. And it's there's just no conclusive anything. Mm-hmm. So in our experience, we just kind of count that as the first manic mm-hmm. episode.
1: So that, that first episode would have been about 99, 2000. And then the fir- my next episode was 2005. I was a counselor for the EFY program for the church. And um, I ended up getting um, sick, having a manic episode at an EFY session.
0: As a counselor. As a
1: counselor, which was a nightmare for <laughs> the
0: terrible. other
1: counselors and the entire program. But that was, I. I started saying to my fellow counselors, you know, hey, I'm I'm feeling very similar to I did when I was again I got sick in high school. It was the same type of like, you know, lightheadedness, just um fast racing thoughts, a lot of um hyper religiosity in the thoughts. Um just and it was a very similar symptom, a very similar feeling. No one really knew what that meant, um until I, I crashed. And so um that was 2005. So at that point, I realized, like, okay, there's something going on.
0: In that specific incident with EFY in 2005, all that ended up happening is he went to the emergency room. And then his parents drove from Pennsylvania to Massachusetts to pick him up. Mm-hmm. And um,
1: I got a sedative. I'm got sure they
0: gave you a sedative, and yep. that was it.
1: Yeah, they thought I was on drugs. If I didn't have the EFI counselors, co-counselors there advocating for me, um, they probably would have thought that I was high up until they did a blood test and find I was fine
0: what were the symptoms that you were having
1: yeah so um, feelings feelings like um, I was performing miracles feelings like I was um, able to do extremely athletic things like there was there was like a there was a lacrosse camp at the same time as this church camp and I remember like kicking a piece of garbage a bo- there was a water bottle on the ground and i kicked the thing and it hit the guy right in the back exactly how i had aimed it and like oh yeah i'm so good at soccer why would you kick him in the I don't know cuz i that's because i had a thought that i should do it right it was just that random that oh you should kick that ball and sh- and show how great of a kicker you are and and then this one guy had his lacrosse stick and a ball and i said hey throw it to me and i went and ran and i caught it with one hand and i threw it right back to him And he says, oh, yeah, you're really good. You should play baseball, you know? So this just this feeling of, like, they talk. I'm amazing. Yeah, I'm amazing. They talk about these, like, feelings of grandiosity, like you can solve all the world's problems. At the lunch cafeteria, I was, like, mixing um, orange juice and drinks, and I, I, like, took a pear and, like, dunked it in my orange juice glass and made a cocktail with the pear that I had half eaten. Like, it was so strange. You know, they talk about the Apostle John, you know, who who did not die. He was translated straight into heaven. He didn't die. Same thing with some people believe that happened to Moses as well. So I had this thought that, Oh, maybe I'm being translated. And in fact, when they took me into the hospital, I remember distinctly asking my counselor who was with me. Um, Cause I was not sure of it. I said, am I still in mortality? Like, am I still alive? Cause I thought maybe I had um, crossed through, like they were giving me an IV and I noticed like, this is really strange, but some of my, some of the blood was coming back into the IV. And so I thought, oh, something was happening to my body. Like I was being translated, being changed into this like spiritual being. And it was, it was very strange. Were you scared at the time or, or were you? I was so happy. I was so thrilled. But what happened that tripped them off that I needed to go to the hospital was I got so tired, super fatigued that my body just started crashing because for that whole couple of days that i was having these heightened emotions and you know strokes of intelligence really great thoughts and everything thinking i was performing miracles and understanding the scriptures and being able to like teach these kids as, as like i felt like you know maybe i was even like a jesus or a disciple or something like that you know and and finally my body just gave out and i i got so exhausted that i started to panic a little bit And I literally lost physical control of my body that I was collapsed in a chair. And they tried to bring a thermometer, the the nurse counselor, the medical counselor, tried to put a thermometer in my mouth. I couldn't even hold it in my mouth. He had to hold it there for me because I couldn't control my body enough to hold that thermometer in place. And at that point, they realized something was wrong and they needed to take me in. No one could understand what was going on with me mentally the three preceding days leading up to that because no one could tell what was going through my mind.
0: (laughs) I think that you were also pretty underweight at that time.
1: Yeah, I was probably like 135 and a normal weight for me would have been maybe 150.
0: Just looking at his photos. I was very, very standard. Yeah, Um, I just think there was, you just were going, 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 but not taking care of yourself
1: just a few other examples of what was odd at that, some odd behavior. Like I, I was part of the talent show auditions for the counts for that camp. And I remember like, I found a, a bird feather on on the ground and I put it in my hair. <laughs> like I was a native American or something because, and then that gave me special judgment powers because I was judging the auditions or something like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh wow. It's amazing that you remember this all yeah. so clearly. Yes, like, yes, do I you do. remember you remember how you felt? Uh-huh. You remember it feeling real? Yeah, it felt very real. It was. It felt very real, and I felt like as they were as they were um, walking me to the car because I couldn't even walk myself. The two counselors were holding my arms around them. It, there happened to be like a little bit of rain on the sidewalk, and in my mind, I'm like, "Oh, I'm walking on water." <laughs>
0: like, wow! Literally
1: walking on water. Wow! The, the the really cool part is when they, they put me in the car. And they had the radio on, and there's a song "Knowing Together We'll Live Forever." We did it all for the glory of love. Is that Peter Cetera? Is who is that? Is that the? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So, but that song was blasting, as though like I was entering the gates of heaven, and like we're gonna live forever. <laughs> we did it all for the glory of love, and it was like it was so beautiful. Like oh, I'm going to heaven, and like here's this beautiful song. But no, I was just going to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> well, so when, at what point were you able to look back at that and be like, whoa. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I don't know if it was like kind of.
0: It was not immediately. Not immediately.
1: In fact, to the point where Jessica said, yes, they, I went back to school to resume school but in the fall should semester. should
0: not have taken a semester. I, sh-
1: I, should, I should have been taking a semester off to get healthy because I remember being in chemistry class and they're teaching about like um, – Covalence and electron shells and all that, and I'm like, I couldn't even. Well, I knew enough to know that that's what they were talking about, but trying to take notes in the class, I remember I had a pen and I was just scribbling back and forth, dark circles, like. Yeah,
0: he showed me his notes. He showed me the note, yeah, and it was just black scribbles and circles because I couldn't control
1: my pen and I couldn't focus. I was just so like out of control, unable to And he was not
0: going to classes, was trying to follow the spirit to go talk to whoever, wherever. And so it was just, he was not in a good place. I flew flew back home to see him after he got out of the hospital. So he was writing me letters when he was back home out of the hospital and talking to me on the phone. And I I mean, I don't even, like one time he called and said, oh, I got a shower today. I did it all by myself. And I thought, this is weird. <laughs> like, good job. Like, <laughs> it's interesting to see someone who's so high functioning, then go to not being able to keep, he couldn't keep his thoughts um, focused to even do simple tasks. It, it, he almost sounded kind of childlike um, in, in that basic functions or just resting and that was the highlight of his day. And he was really excited and thrilled about that. But it, it was kind of strange because I just didn't quite know what was going on. And what I was told is, Oh, he's had a relapse of his encephalitis.
1: Right. Which was the only thing that they could say to explain it.
0: So really, I didn't really know what was happening. And we're telling the story looking back with, years of dealing with mental health issues and kind of piecing together what we believe what was really happening. But at the time, I was told he's had a relapse of his encephalitis. And and so I didn't really know what that meant as far as his mental functioning. (laughs) To kind of fast forward, he went back to to school. And that first semester was just kind of strange. But he seemed normal enough. Like he was going to classes enough. You Uh, were in... I mean, I
1: got a C in that chemistry class.
0: Which is amazing. Which is your amazing. Scribbles were were <laughs> I, so Interesting. I should have.
1: I sh- probably should have failed that class, but I But I, didn't, I think, right?
0: like you were in men's course, mm-hmm. you were. Yep. Doing. We even got engaged. Yeah, we got
1: engaged at the end of that semester. At the end of so that semester, I.
0: I mean, you so. started to get better, and then the next semester, was like one of your best semesters yeah, ever, grade wise. I aced
1: calculus and. Uh, that's because you would sit in the study lounge with me and make me do my homework. It was awesome. Yeah, <laughs>
0: um, so other than his lack of focus on like homework, you had a really great semester, and we got married in May.
1: Now, if I remember right, Jessica, it was partially during that semester when I want to say it was like kind of on your advice that I sought out some treatment from the BYU Mental Health Services program. I saw a, a psychiatrist and okay. a student, a graduate student counselor. I had, a, and you know, I don't know how many sessions I had with him you know but he did everything from the Rorschach to like different tests like I remember they showed me some sketches and had me like say what I felt about these sketches and like so there was a lot of um I did seek treatment at that time but and they-
0: they didn't really give you a diagnosis I, or I, yeah, anything. not that I
1: knew not that I knew of. There was no real diagnosis that I was conscious enough about. Maybe they did give me one, but I didn't know what they were talking about. The diagnosis didn't actually happen until after you you were married, is that right? Yes, exactly. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. for several years. Yeah. yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. so tell so, me about that. What so led we, to that? So we got married in two thousand six mm-hmm. and um, it wasn't until So it was May 2006, it wasn't until November 2010. Mm -hmm. So four and a half years um, until we had any sort of answers. We had moved to Pennsylvania.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Scott had um, not finished his degree.
1: I ended up being academically dismissed from BYU because of my poor grades. So I had to actually fill out a petition and get my advisors, my, my professors at school to sign off on me having the opportunity to even come back and finish my degree later. So because the, the plan was, okay, you're dismissed, but you can take some credits at another university and transfer them back.
0: Jessica, just pausing for a second, what was that like for you as a spouse when
1: he wasn't graduating? And you were kind of looking at your future and wondering <laughs> what was going to Why happen. Mary? Why did I get oh, myself into man. this? Oh, man.
0: Here's the problem. I love school. I take it very seriously. And, I mean, I wanted to go get a graduate degree. And here was my husband who was, you know, in the mechanical engineering program and just kept failing these classes. I don't even know. I think you failed heat transfer Two or three times. I failed
1: heat transfer twice, and then I took it again remotely at my own pace, and I aced it. So, so,
0: but for me, this is, it was really frustrating. I remember saying, I wish he would just blow me off to go to the library and get that homework done. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, even when we were dating, I kind of felt that way. But... Um, he just couldn't do it. And it was very frustrating for me because I know how smart he is. And he, there were times where he was tutoring other students in yeah. very, very complex high-level math.
1: We were doing differential equations, and I was in the Air Force ROTC at the time. And I kind of brag that um, I'm in the, I am responsible for at least two or three pilots commissioning in the Air Force because I helped them pass differential <laughs> equations. At the he's, same time, I'm failing my own but class. But he's
0: tutoring these these other students because he's brilliant at this math, right. but he's not doing the work, so he can't get the grades to right. pass. And he had semesters where he was doing great, and then it would always come down to the last minute, and he just could not get the work in. It was really, really hard.
1: One of the things that caused me to have this problem is that I, I always had this – in the Air Force, they talk about this um, – service before self, right? And I had, a, I had a kind of a twisted view of that, which is not actually correct. And when I actually got to Air Force training, they kind of straightened me out on that and they said, you gotta put your own oxygen mask on first, right? Right. So if you're sitting there trying to put everyone else's oxygen mask on, you're gonna suffocate or collapse. So service before self has to be done wisely. Mental illness aside, that's just a life lesson that people need to learn. But it was particularly difficult for me because I always felt like, oh, I was following the spirit telling me to help this person when it was really just, okay, you had a good compassion, but you didn't understand the concept of wisdom. However many times I had tried to graduate, <laughs> uh, I kept failing my classes and couldn't, couldn't graduate. So we moved out to Pennsylvania. She pursued a master's degree. At that time, I remember I said, you know what? I'm, I kind of feel depressed. Maybe I should seek some help. So I went out and saw a, a, a psychiatric nurse and she prescribed a medication to me, um, and that medication kind of caused me to induce a manic episode.
0: It wasn't a mood stabilizer; it was an antidepressant. It was an
1: antidepressant, and they didn't uh, know that I had bipolar, so that caused a, a manic episode.
0: So he, again, no diagnosis, but he had this medication for depression, mm-hmm. and he had just started taking it, and it was around Thanksgiving, and all of a sudden. He was manic, mm-hmm. like running for miles. This man does not like to run.
1: Buying um. buying all sorts of workout clothes. And, and uh, I bought some shoes that had Velcro. He, he
0: bought like Velcro shoes? And I
1: bought a for... fedora. <laughs>
0: oh, wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> like,
1: just... <laughs> I never wear hats, but I bought one. Like, it was just it was so strange.
0: Terrible. And so... Anyway, he, and he was up really late and he was talking and talking and talking. I couldn't shut up. And honestly, you kind of have that problem already, <laughs> but what was the indication that he needed to go to the hospital was, I kept waking up through the night and every time I would wake up, he'd just be looking at me in the bed. At one point he looked at me and he said, are you my wife? <gasps> and oh. I said, Okay, get your shoes on. I had read an article, a news article before going to bed about a man who had killed his his mom because he thought she was like not his mom or something. So I'm like, Oh, Oh, I'm not dying tonight. If you
1: really want to know who I thought she was, I will tell you, I thought she was the devil. And I thought that I was in hell.
0: You said my face was like changing. Mm -hmm. I thought her face
1: had morphed into some demon. So I
0: looked at him, I said, get your shoes on. And he couldn't even do it. I was like, okay, you need to go over there, put your shoes on, go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. We're going to the hospital. So I took him to the hospital and the great thing about Scott is that he does not get violent. He does not get angry. He just kind of gets disorganized and scared. So um, it's good for me that it's not mm-hmm. bad. He's always very willing to get help, which is great. So we went to the hospital. We didn't really know what was going on. And um, they admitted him and to their mental health unit. And I went home and you were there for, you were there from Saturday to Friday. So what, six or seven days. And um, that's when he was first given the diagnosis of bipolar one. But this time, the episodes that he had were not of elation. Yeah. They were
1: super depressive. It was like, of- it
0: was like a manic yeah. depress. It was I don't even some know how to it, categorize it. Yeah, some people it. have
1: called it mixed mode manic, um, where you're both uh, manic as in racing thoughts, but you're also severely depressed at the same time.
0: Because instead of everything being, I'm going to heaven, this is right. great. It was, I have died. Mm-hmm. I am going. I am in hell. Mm-hmm. I have lost all chance of going to heaven. Mm-hmm. My wife is being taken away mm-hmm. from me. I just, just no sense of reality. I remember him calling me and saying, like, has the second coming happened? Uh, You Mm know, and I I remember at the time telling him like, no, Obama is still the president. (laughs) It was just Thanksgiving. Like, he still has a busted lip because I think the president had gotten like a busted lip from playing basketball right before he went into the hospital. And we read that news article and I'm like, it's still... 2010. It's really interesting that Scott can um, you mentioned this too that he can remember his thoughts that he had yeah. during this time because during the time it makes sense to him but we look back now and we laugh so much of some of the thoughts that he had because you really just have to. They're too funny yeah. to not like laugh Jes- at. Jessica
1: mentioned that I thought that she was being taken away from me. Like My brother and Jessica came to visit me in the hospital and as they're leaving after visiting hours, I'm like, "Oh, Brian's getting my wife because I was, I was unfaithful, or or I was in hell." Which so, you
0: weren't. <laughs> on either account. None of that was <laughs> yeah, what was
1: happening. No. They were just leaving visiting hours.
0: I always say, like, you are the nicest husband to have after the hospital right because she's so, so afraid that that, I'm left.
1: That, he, that she's either left me of her own choice or that like
0: or that i've been given yeah given like, to
1: someone else that same same fear came back at a at, at a later hospitalization and it wasn't even a relative it was just some, was random just some guy in the hospital. Other, some you. other guy in the hospital
0: it was like a 19 year old gaming video kid, gaming kid and i was kid. like really <laughs> and I thought that he was getting justified. You're like, I'm like, offended by that. I God. am. I have, like, I have better standards. It, with that specific hospitalization, we came out of there with the diagnosis. Um, I was, from my perspective, it was a really, really hard week. My sister came and stayed with me for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I was in graduate school. All my classes were in the evening, which is when you could only visit for an hour mm-hmm. at night. And so it was the week before finals of my first semester of grad school and it was just it was really hard and then my dad came and stayed with us to basically babysit Scott after he got out of the hospital because we couldn't leave him alone it it seems like every time this happens to you it it really kind of takes Scott down um, to a different level of functioning afterwards like he really needs to make sure that Somebody's there making sure that he's eating and not wandering off. It's mm-hmm. really interesting.
1: This was the first time that my mania was coupled with depression and almost paranoia. Yeah. Whereas the prior to, you know, the, the high school, what we thought was encephalitis and then the EFY counselor, that was euphoric. That was like, oh, I'm going to heaven. I'm being translated. This is great. No, these ones were like, uh, sorry. These ones were very you're like, not, you're dark
0: not. for him. The feelings of paranoia were very strong. I was checking out of a grocery store,
1: and there was a security guard there. As I'm checking out of the grocery line, there was a newspaper with the headline that said, like, cops are arresting more people. Crime is up. And the the way that the cashier said to me, did you get that? Was like, (laughs) oh, this headline is a message to me, and here's this security guard, and I'm about to be arrested that little paranoia came after um, I had spent an exorbitant amount of time talking to someone on Facebook about the death penalty (laughs) and how I was, whether or not, you know, I was in favor of it or whatnot. And so like I had, I had done myself in with that because I had spent so much time debating with this friend of mine about the death penalty that It kind of worked me up into being susceptible to that.
0: Here's the other thing about Scott. You have to know that he is um, really good with puns Mm -hmm. and really um, aware of his surroundings. So there's always like an association going Mm -hmm. on. A double meaning. That's essentially what a pun is. Well, in everything. And so it really is bad when you're paranoid. (laughs) Or having an episode because you will see, like you said, a newspaper article and immediately it's connected to something that happened in your life. And it's like so after that episode, he went into a classroom and he was worried about like not going to visit people from church. Mm -hmm. And on the chalkboard, someone had written. Game over, you lose. Right. For right. something else. So, of course, that was a message. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you lose. You Game
1: yeah. over. It's so weird how, how something like, who would have written that? And why would they have written that? It was right there
0: for me. But what? it wasn't for you. It was just yeah. a classroom that had exactly. been used for who knows what. Between hospitalizations, there were times when Scott had what we thought might turn into like an episode but it kind of didn't like he would get really paranoid or really worked up about something but we were able to kind of
1: yeah like i went to an apple festival with my sister-in-law jessica was out of town this always happens when she goes on a trip while we were there um i started to get i started to get paranoid that morning even before she came like I thought, again, I was writing in my journal and then all of a sudden I said something in my journal. I wrote it down and like, bam, paranoia. I thought I was in hell and I was at the final judgment and the Holy Ghost was telling me, sorry, you didn't make it. And like all because of something I wrote in my journal. So my sister-in-law came after that a couple hours later and took me to this Apple Festival. And by the time I just kept getting worked up that I didn't make it. And there I was in this, um, they had this little pen full of goats at this Apple Festival, and I'm like, the scripture that talks about the sheep and the goats and sorting them out, and I swear I heard a voice from heaven (laughs) call my name, and that's all it said was, Scott, um, come unto me, and like, I looked up, and I'm like, well, how do I come unto you? What am I going to do? And then I'm like, I'm a goat. And so, like, this is the problem that I had to understand, because I do believe in God, and I do believe in the Holy Ghost, and I've had to understand how you know God works by order he doesn't he he works in mysterious ways but he's also not the author of confusion things have to be done in wisdom and order and all of that I've had to learn through this through this history of mental health just understanding that okay spiritual manifestations are not always what I think they are right I've had to understand that not every little every little tingle and every little sensation is a spiritual impression right the spiritual impressions are, that I've had in my life are very real, but I've learned to discern and distinguish between a real spiritual impression and just some right um, paranoia some, some or paranoia or sensation right. Stay tuned for part two of Scott and Jessica's story. The goal of mental illness in me is to normalize the mental health conversation and help those who suffer feel less alone. Your support is critical to raise awareness and help as many people as possible. If this podcast resonates with you, please follow our Instagram account, Mental Illness and Me KT, our Facebook page, Mental Illness and Me, or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. If you are interested in sharing your story, please email mental illness and me, KT
0: at gmail.com.